All right, well, good morning, church. You bring your Bibles? Okay. We're in John chapter 3, continuing through. Let's remind ourselves of where we are. Nicodemus, all on his own by himself at night, has come to visit Jesus. And without a doubt, this is the most important conversation Nicodemus has ever had. It's a conversation about his salvation, about being born again. Remember, as we talked about last week, salvation is personal. It's a decision that only you and you alone can make for yourself. You can't inherit it. It won't be passed down in a will from your parents or your grandparents. You aren't a Christian by going to church. You aren't a Christian by reading your Bible. You aren't a Christian because you were baptized as an infant. You aren't a Christian because you live in one nation under God. None of those things actually make you a Christian. You aren't, based a, you aren't a Christian based on any works that you can do on your own. As I said last week, and it bears repeating, it's a drastic, radical, supernatural, spiritual rebirth that can only be done by God and through His power. You have to be born again. Tozer says this, he says, the only sin Jesus ever had was ours and the only righteousness we can have is his. It's the only way that we can be born again. Now, if you could be saved by your works or through your own righteousness, then Nicodemus would have been a shoe-in. And that's one of the things we need to understand about Nicodemus, right? He would have been riding into heaven on a golden chariot. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Jesus referred to him as the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus assumed that heaven was a guarantee, right? Because he was a child of Abraham, all he had to do was follow the yellow brick road to enter into the kingdom of God. Remember what Paul says about himself in Philippians 3, right? Paul said, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Right? Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Well, if Paul felt that way, you could say Nicodemus probably felt that way also. It's very similar to how Nicodemus probably thought about himself. He was confident in his flesh. If Nicodemus was your friend, if he was a buddy of yours, you would have been blessed to know him. Right? He would have been invited over to all the family barbecues. If he said, hey, I need a personal reference, do you mind? You would have been like, absolutely not. How many pages can I write for you? Do I have to keep it short or can I write a book? That's the kind of guy Nicodemus was. He was that good of a guy. He was intelligent. He was schooled. He was wealthy. He loved God. He had it all. Well, he had it all except for one thing. Jesus. That's what Nicodemus needed. Nicodemus need Jesus. So the Spirit of God, probably unbeknownst to Nicodemus, drew Nicodemus under the cover of darkness to Jesus. And Jesus pretty much just cuts right to the chase, right, and starts answering a question that Nicodemus may not have understood that he needed answered. Maybe deep down he did know, you know, that's a good debate over coffee sometime. How much did Nicodemus actually know about why he came to Jesus? Right? Maybe deep down, you know, Nicodemus knew that he was missing something. His heart was telling him that something was possibly wrong, that something was missing. We don't know, really. I mean, maybe. 
Maybe Nicodemus knew that despite all his worldly achievements, despite his prestigious job, despite his lineage, despite his righteousness under the law, when you strip all that away from Nicodemus, when you strip it all away, that maybe he knew deep down that he was unrighteous in the eyes of God. And he was lacking something. Maybe, maybe not. Like I said, we don't really know what Nicodemus, why Nicodemus exactly came. But Jesus did. Jesus knew Nicodemus's heart, and he just went right to the point and started answering the question for him. See, Nicodemus came to Jesus with an open heart. He came to him sincerely. He came to him wanting to know more about him, right? He came with an open heart and an open mind. And Nicodemus and Jesus, right, just tells him flat out, Nicodemus, none of those things are going to save you. You're not going to go to to enter the kingdom of God just because you're a descendant of Abraham. You're not going to enter the kingdom of God just because you're an Israelite. You're not going to enter the kingdom of God just because you're a Pharisee. None of these things are going to save you. You have to be born again. Right? That which is born of the flesh is just flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, you need to be born of the Spirit. Right? You need to be born again by the Spirit of God to enter into the kingdom of God. And that's where we're going to pick it up this morning because that's pretty much right where we are. In the midst of this personal one-on-one conversation concerning salvation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. Right? So we are going to, I'm going to back up just a little bit. We left off on verse 15 last week, but I'm going to back up to verse 10 just for context because all the verses from verse 10 through verse 21 are all Jesus' response to Nicodemus when Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Okay. This is all part of Jesus' response. So I'm going to start back in verse 10 just for context. So Jesus answered Nicodemus. He said, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's Jesus referring to himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your words, and I pray, Lord, you speak these to our heart. And I thank you, Lord, for the fact that your spirit is alive and active and speaking in us and and drawing us closer to you and working out your words in our lives so that we can live them out daily. So I pray we just continue to do that, Lord. I pray that we just apply these and apply these great words and this great message of Jesus speaking to Nicodemus personally, that we can can take this and apply it and, and use it to point people to their need of Jesus. Because there's only one way to enter into the kingdom of God. There's only one way to go to heaven. And that's through Jesus. So we thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
in the midst of these verses that we read, of course, is the most famous verse from the Bible that most people know by sight when you just put up John 3.16 on something. And that's right here in the middle, pretty much the middle, almost exactly the middle of the verses that we read here today. Right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, of course, is referring to himself. And I wonder how often when you read that verse that you realize that it's Jesus speaking. It's not just a quote from John. It's not just a, a statement from John. It's Jesus' own words. He is telling Nicodemus, listen, if you want to have eternal life, you have to believe in him. Right? Him, the Son of God. That's who you have to believe in, Nicodemus. That's me, Nicodemus. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. He refers to himself as the Son of God. This is a declaration. Jesus is declaring to Nicodemus who he is. And he says, listen, Nicodemus... You have to be born again, you have to be born by the Spirit, and you have to put your faith in the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Son of God. That's who I am, Nicodemus. These are words in red. And we often just think of John 3.16 as a standalone verse. I mean, we, we quote it that way. And then by itself, it's a very impactful verse, don't get me wrong. There's a reason it's one of the most, rec the most recognized verses probably from the Bible. I mean, the importance of the verse cannot be understated. It's arguably, like I said, the most recognizable one. And the only verse that really, or verses you could say, that run a close second to John 3.16 John 3, is the verses from Luke that Linus quotes in the Charlie Brown Christmas. Right? Those are the only verses that run a close second to John 3.16 because most people recognize those verses as well because of the popularity of that. But yet you can go back all the way, you can search up church or quotes on John 3.16, and you can go all the way back to the 1500s and find early church fathers and, and theologians' quotes about the, it, the importance of this verse. I mean, I mean, 500 years of people have been writing about how, and there's probably go back further if you could find the paperwork, right? If you could find writings Besides, right here, in the Word of God, but from the church fathers. Martin Luther, matter of fact, Martin Luther, you guys know the, the history of Martin Luther, right? I mean, he was a monk. He was within the church system. And one day he did this thing. It was really crazy. He read the Bible for himself, right? And it changed his life entirely. And I'm sort of paraphrasing his entire story, but, but one of the verses that he read that changed his entire life was John 3.16. It, it's written. He, he remarks on it himself in his own writings. Right? He gave his life to Jesus after he read John 3.16 and realized that it was Jesus who died for him. It, it wasn't right, the Pope. It wasn't Mary, the mother of Jesus. It wasn't the church, right? The cross belongs to Jesus alone. It was Jesus who died for him. He gave his life to Jesus after he read John 3.16. Martin Luther refers to John 3.16 as the gospel of God in miniature. That's how important that verse was to Martin Luther. And we know what happened after that. You're holding Bibles in your hand that you can read yourself today. That in part come from the fact that Martin Luther gave his life to Christ because he read the Bible for himself in John 3.16. And then he started printing Bibles and got the church mad at him and all kinds of things, right, in the history that you can read about. 
People have been holding up a John 3.16 sign at sporting events since the Roman Colosseum. Maybe not back that far. But, you know, they've been holding up signs at sports events forever. It was actually a gentleman named Roland Stewart. He wore, I don't know if you guys remember this, right? He wore a rainbow-colored wig. He held up John 3.16 signs at football games, baseball games, basketball games, right? Wherever he would be more, most noticeable. He started in the late 70s. He did it through the 80s. He's now in jail serving three life sentences for kidnapping. That's another story entirely. But he's the guy who kind of popularized it in sporting events. I mean, John 3.16 is, is just as much a part of pop culture today as like, you know, hula hoops and Coca-Cola, Barbie and Snoopy. Charles Schultz wrote a reference. Charles Schultz quoted Bible verses all the time in the Peanuts comic strips. But he references John 3.16 in the strip he did in the mid-80s. I think it was Linus who's sitting in front of the television watching the sports game, and his sister comes up behind him and says, why are they always holding up a sign that says John 3.16? And Linus says, it's a, it's, she's quoting scripture. She says, oh, I thought it had something to do with John Madden. <laughs> uh, so had something, you know, she was thinking it had something to do with football. If you go to In-N-Out Burger, of course, and you look at the bottom of their cups on the inside ring of the bottom of their cups, what do they have printed there? They have printed John 3.16. Right? Because In-N-Out Burger is a Christian company, and they print John 3.16 on all their cups. There's, there's a famous sports player who is known for John 3.16, Tim Tebow. I don't know if you guys know this, but Jesus loves Tim Tebow. And Jesus loves football. And you know this because of John 3.16 and Tim Tebow. It was during his collegiate football career in the BCS championship game back in 2009 on January 8th when he wrote John 3.16. He was a quarterback for Florida at the time. He wrote, in, with his eye black, he wrote the inscription of John 3.16 on, on himself somewhere. I don't remember where he wrote it exactly. But because he had that written on him when he, came, when he was playing the game, millions of people that day Googled John 3.16. They wanted to know why he had John 3.16 written on his outfit. And that was kind of like Tim Tebow's start. Of course, we know Tim Tebow was a Christian, right? That was sort of like Tim Tebow's start into the sports culture, right? And he, was, he wrote John 3.16. Well, three years later to the date, three years later to the date, He's playing in an NFL, his first NFL playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Tim Tebow throws for, get this, this is documented fact. Okay, this shows you how much Jesus loves football. Right. Tim Tebow threw for 316 yards, and he averaged 31.6 yards per completion. And now if that isn't weird enough, Ben Roethlisberger's second quarter interception of that, in that game, which led to a field goal, right, in the 17-6 Broncos lead. That interception came on a third and 16, 316, right? And the Steelers finished the game with a time of possession of 31 minutes and 6 seconds. The entire game was all 316. Everything that he did, it's, it's, it's such a fascinating thing that it's written up in sports articles worldwide that to this day they can't explain it. How is it that Tim Tebow 
and that team just had all these 316 things happen in the game. The guy who wrote John 316 on himself three years previous in his collegiate game. It was no surprise to his fans, mind you, who understood his faith. So yes, John 3.16 is arguably the best-known verse in the Bible, and all you have to do is flash the reference. You can see it in movies, you can see it everywhere, and people pretty much know exactly what verse you're talking about. They know it's from the Bible, even if they don't know exactly what it says or what it's referencing. They know it's a reference to the Bible. It doesn't matter if they're believers or unbelievers or politicians like the president who never reads their Bible or Republicans or Democrats or churchgoers or church avoiders. They, they all get the idea. They know it's from the Bible. They know it's a biblical reference. They understand. You know, you think about it. God's word is made up of over 31,000 verses. And this one verse, above any other, has captured the attention of the world. Just one verse, John 3.16. It's amazing. So it should really be no surprise for us this morning that it's at the center of what we're talking about. Right? Like I said, almost literally at the center, actually. And it should be of the utmost importance to you as well. Hopefully, though, it's of the utmost importance to you because of a different reason and has nothing to do with pop culture. Right? Hopefully you understand the importance of these words personally. And that you understand also, like I said earlier, that these words are in red. Right? J.C. Ryle, who was an Ang Anglican bishop of Liverpool in the mid to late 1800s, so way before the Beatles, right? He said this, he said, It's wonderful to hear and read to see that Jesus speaks these words himself, that he reserved these words for himself. Not for a prophet, not for a king, not for a poet. He reserved them for himself. John 3.16 is Jesus proudly declaring not just who he is, the Son of God, but what you must do to have eternal life and enter the kingdom of God. Right? First thing I want you to look at in these verses that we just read is what Jesus says about himself, and I've already sort of hinted at it, right? Remember all those great declarations of Jesus we have that started the whole book of John? Right? Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the, the Son of Man. Right? He, the Lamb of God. Jesus is the King of Israel. All these things that are stated through the first chapter of John. Well, here, this is what Jesus is doing. Again, he's declaring who he is. And he's giving the gospel to Nicodemus because Nicodemus is trying to wrap his head around what he's being told about being born again. Right? So Jesus says... No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. There's only one person who came from heaven who's going to ascend back to heaven, and that's who has ascended back to heaven, who's also going to come back again, and that's Jesus. He's the Son of Man. That's Jesus' favorite reference for himself. It's a messianic term. It's used here in the Gospel of John, but it's also used throughout the entire Gospels some ridiculous amount of time. I think it's like, over 80 times in the Gospels, the Son of Man is used to describe Jesus, uh, his, divine, his div divinity and his humanity, basically. So he tells Nicodemus, he's referencing, again, Numbers 21. He's using Numbers 21 to foreshadow his crucifixion. But he tells him, he says, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, that's me, Nicodemus, 
be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So he tells Nicodemus, listen, you want to be born again? You want to be the, born in the spirit? I know that's confusing terminology for you. You don't understand what I'm talking about, Nicodemus. You're trying to wrap your head. You say, how can these things be? Let me tell you how these things can be. You have to believe in the Messiah. You have to put your faith in the Messiah. The Messiah is going to have to be lifted up, right? Using, like I said, it's referencing his crucifixion using Numbers 21. It's going to have to be lifted up, and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Just like the Israelites looked at the snake on the pole and were saved, the bronze serpent, who had that, the symbol of that your sin has been judged, right, will, will look at the Son of Man, be lifted up and be saved as well. And then he follows it up, of course, telling him that he's the Son of God. And that's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Son of God. Nicodemus, that's me. I'm the Messiah, Nicodemus. I'm the son of God. I'm, I'm here. I've come to seek and save the lost. That's my mission, Nicodemus. And you've come to me, and I can tell that this is what you truly are looking for. Like I said, we often think that John 3.16 is just a standalone verse. Yet in context, John 3.16 sits in the middle of a reply from Jesus to Nicodemus, where Jesus himself is imploring Nicodemus. He's begging him. That's what it means in the Greek. He's begging Nicodemus to be born again, as well as explaining to him how to be born again and also, why he needs to be born again. You're born again by putting your faith in the Son of God. And you need to be born again so that you can enter the kingdom of God. Because it's the only way, Nicodemus. It's the only way. Right? So it's this one-on-one -on -one conversation, this mano -y mano right, conversation. And we kind of think of that as some sort of, you know, mano -y mano we kind of think of some sort of a conflict. It's like, oh, so-and-so, Jesus and Nicodemus, mano -y mano right? Well, there was sort of a conflict between them. It wasn't like, they're not wrestling it out in the sense physically, but there was a little bit of a conflict here. The conflict was, of course, that it was Nicodemus coming to terms with the truth of the Word of God. That was the conflict. It was Nicodemus' internal struggle with coming Right? coming to terms with the truth of the word of God. Jesus just told him that he had to be born again to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was having a hard time wrapping his head around that idea. So that's why Jesus tells him the how and why, right? And that's what we were looking at this morning. Basically the part two of what we looked at last week about being born again, right? This is the how and why you need, you need to do this, Nicodemus. This is, this is why it's important. So when we look at John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world. Just right there at the beginning, just so you understand, there's no limited atonement there. It says, For God so loved the world. It's not, For God so loved Israel, right? Or God so loved the Jews, or God so loved this people group, or that people group, or whatever. No, it's, For God so loved the world. John reaffirms this later in 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, and he himself, referring to Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, right? not just for Israel, but also for the whole world. Right? 
that would have been something for Nicodemus to have to wrestle with as well. Because again, Nicodemus was pretty confident in the fact that he could enter the kingdom of God just because he was a descendant of Abraham. And the Messiah was coming for Israel. And Jesus just told him, no, for God so loved the world. Not just Israel. It doesn't have to do with just you, Nicodemus. Or just your people. Or just this kingdom. Everyone, Nicodemus. And why it's such an amazing statement, John 3, 16? It's not because God loved the world. I think we don't have any issues with that for the most part. I mean, there are people who struggle with that because they think that it's just for them. It's only the 144,000. We're the 144,000, and you're not, right? These type of things, that, these false teachings that are prevalent, but when we look at it, we're like, well, it's not really too much of new. God so loved the world. I get it. God is love. God loves the world. It's not a problem. We don't wrestle with that. What amazing, what's amazing about that verse is not that God loved the world. It's that the world is evil. <laughs> That's what's amazing about that verse. God loves the world even though the world is evil. That's what's amazing about that verse because that's what Jesus says right here in the rest. In, in, the, in the rest of the verses. In verse 19, he says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. The world's evil, but God loves the world. But it's only whoever believes in his son, in God the son, in Jesus, who puts their faith in Jesus, who will have eternal life. So yes, God loves the entire world, but it's only those who put their faith in Jesus who will be saved. I don't want to read too much in it, but notice this, because Jesus says that the world is evil, and they do wicked things, and they hate the light, because if they come to the light, their evil works are going to be exposed. So they don't like the light. Who's the light? Jesus is. Right? Jesus is the light of the world. So what Jesus is saying is that the evil hates me. Okay? Evil hates me because I expose evil for what it is. So the evil likes to hang in the darkness. They like to hide in the darkness. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Nicodemus was hiding in the darkness, but he came to the light. Evil doesn't come to the light. Jesus actually says that. But whoever does what is true, he says, comes to the light. Nicodemus was drawn to the light and he came to Jesus. He came out of the darkness and into the light. It's an interesting picture, just to me, because Nicodemus is, in a sense, doing what Jesus is proclaiming here at the end. He's saying, listen, Nicodemus, your life as you have it right now is full of many great things. You're the teacher of Israel. You're a member of the Sanhedrin, right? The Jewish Supreme Court. You're, you're a great man in the eyes of Israel, but you're a dead man walking. You're dead. You're dead in your sins. You're living in the darkness, and only the evil lives in the darkness. Those who aren't evil They'll come to the light. And Nicodemus, you came to the light. 
Here's the thing. When you've been living in the darkness so long, like, I mean, you know, if you've ever gone out camping and you spend all your time, you know, hanging around a campfire at night and, and these things like that where you have very little light and it's very dark and you've been living in the darkness a long time, you really don't know how dirty you get sometimes, right? If you're, if you're especially if you're like camping way out in the woods and you don't, you're not camping in a place that has showers and bathrooms and, you know, and stuff like that. Um, and after all, you know, like Dixon went to a camp earlier this summer. He was there for like three or four days and he refused to go use the showers or anything. He was too embarrassed. Oh, go embarrass other people. Right. So, so he basically didn't shower for four days. Right. So then you come home, you realize, you get home and you realize, oh man, I'm smelly, I'm stinky, I'm dirty. Well, that's kind of how it is. Like when you're living in the, the, the darkness for so long, you don't realize how dirty you're getting. You don't realize how dirty you are. You don't realize how unclean you are because you're in the dark. You can't see most of that. But you've become smelling, you've become dirty, and you have dirt kicked all over your face and it's all over your hands and it's gotten everywhere you didn't w- you wish it couldn't get. And you're like, how did dirt get there and stuff? You don't know how unclean you've been, but as soon as the light shines on you, as soon as you're in the light, then you know just how dirty you are and that you need to be cleaned. And that's the same with coming to Jesus. As soon as the light of the world, Jesus, shines on you, right, you know at that time how much you need him. Because it's only Jesus who can make you clean. Nicodemus was in the dark. And he came out of the darkness into the light. And as soon as he came into the presence of the light, he realized how much he needed Jesus. He thought he had it. He thought he knew everything. He found out he didn't. And that he needed Jesus. <clears throat> Here's a 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what Nicodemus is going through. We can't continue to walk in the darkness and claim that we are in the light. We can't. Because being born again, as we said, is a spiritual rebirth. You become a new creation. You were in the darkness, but you were called out of the darkness, and now you're in the light. And you can't be in the light and be a children of light, be a child, and then continue to live in the darkness, because then you have not been spiritually reborn. There's no new creation there. You can't live as the old creation still and claim you're in the light. Jesus says you're lying. You're not practicing the truth if you try to do that. If you say that you don't have sin, you're deceiving yourself, and the truth isn't in you. You need to come out of the darkness and into the light so that you can be changed and cleansed by Jesus. It's been said more than once that Jesus didn't die to make bad men good. He died to make dead men live. And that's what he's telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you want eternal life? Nicodemus, you want true life? And you have to be born again. Right? Nicodemus was dead, though he lived. And to truly live, Nicodemus now must die. He must be reborn through the Spirit. That's what Jesus is telling him. 
right? I am the resurrection and the life, Nicodemus. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You want true life, Nicodemus? Come to the light. Come to Jesus. Right? Ephesians 5.14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Nicodemus came out of the darkness and into the light. You can't enter the kingdom of God by chance. Right? It has nothing to do with the roll of the die. It has nothing to do with the flip of the card. It's not a game like that. Right? You can only enter if you are born again. And with that, you can enter with assurance. See, to me, this is what I think Nicodemus was looking for. I think Nicodemus was looking for assurance that he was going to enter into the kingdom of God. If you had discussions with people who are Christians, and yet they, want, they, they all say, man, how do I know? How do I know I'm saved? Or, or maybe they'll ask you the question, do you ever doubt your salvation? Do you ever wonder, am I truly saved? Have you ever had those conversations with people? People who, in a sense, doubt or have doubts concerning their salvation. They're questioning it, right? They want assurance. They're looking for assurance. They're hoping maybe that you have assurance for them. Maybe there's something you know they don't know, and you can give them a little bit of assurance to let them know that, that, that their salvation is secure. That's what I think Nicodemus is doing. We, again, we don't know because Nicodemus never, never asked Jesus a question, right? Nicodemus came and Nicodemus said, we know you are from God because we've seen the works that you've done. And before, before at least that's what's recorded here, before Nicodemus says anything else, Jesus answers a question for him. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again, Nicodemus. Nicodemus didn't say anything about you know, wandering into the kingdom of God. You know, Nick, at least as far as we know, those words never came out of his mouth, but Jesus knew exactly what he needed to hear. So Jesus just cuts the chase and answers the question. So I often think, I think personally that Nicodemus was looking for assurance. Listen, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a Sanhedrin, I'm going to inherit salvation because I'm a descendant of Abraham, I'm guaranteed to get into heaven. Yet, I just, you know, are we sure that's real? Are we sure that's true? I want, I want assurance. Jesus, this Jesus guy, he, he is definitely from God. Look at what he's doing. No one can do those things unless they've been sent by God. So I'm going to go to this Jesus guy, and I'm going to get some assurance that, yes, indeed, I'm on the right path, that I've done the right things, that I'm going to get into heaven. He's going to be saying, hey, Nicodemus, how great and worthy you are. It's so great to see you. I can't believe I'm in your presence, Nicodemus. It's, you've blessed me by just coming here. He's going to, right, this is going to be a great for conversation. He's, he's going to give me some assurance because he's from God and he can assure me of these things. And he comes to Jesus looking for this assurance. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you can't get into heaven unless you're born again. And guess what, Nicodemus? You aren't born again. Not yet anyway. And Nicodemus is like, What? That's not what I came to hear, right? He was looking for assurance. He, he wanted that confidence that what he was doing was right. And Jesus was like, no, no, no. This is what you have to do. I implore you, Nicodemus, to be born again. You want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. And you are born again if you put your faith in the Son of God. That's me, Nicodemus. And you came to me, so you've come to the right guy. 
right? We can settle this right here and now, Nicodemus. Let's get on with it. You know, this interesting thing about this is we're not told how it ends. We don't see any wrap-up to the conversation. It ends with Jesus saying, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's the last thing that's said. There's, no, Nic- there's nothing here about what Nicodemus says in reply to that. There's nothing here in what happens next with Nicodemus. We don't see Nicodemus again until later in the Bible two times. We can, you know, we can kind of say, okay, well, Nicodemus accepted Christ because look at what he's doing later. And that's generally what we believe. But we don't have that conversation in the Bible. We don't, we don't know what happened next. It was personal, right, between Jesus and Nicodemus. The truth of what Nicodemus needed to do is told to us. They're Jesus' own words. Jesus is telling this to Nicodemus, and he's telling this to us. Listen, if you want confidence in your salvation, here's what you need to know. Right here. Your works won't get you into heaven. Only faith in Jesus will. So, put your faith in Jesus. Be born again by the Spirit. If you want assurance, this is how you do it. Assurance is a, it's, it's a big word. You may not think it's a big word, but it's a big word. It's a big word because it's about, it's about knowing, right? having this confidence that you are known and that you belong to God. That's what assurance is. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. It's the assurance. So you want the assurance. You, well, to have assurance, you need to have faith. Right? The assurance gives us confidence, a confidence that comes from the simple truth that Jesus was raised from the dead, right? And our faith, and, and then we put our faith in his death and resurrection, right? Romans eight sixteen. the spirit himself, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you are born of the spirit, then you have the spirit of God who's bearing witness to you, telling you that you're a child of God. And that's where your assurance and your confidence and your conviction comes from. Because God himself is telling you, you're good. You've been born again. Nothing can separate you from God. We don't need to seek it in man or in worldly things, looking for that assurance, trying to find that confidence. It comes from the Spirit of God. But in order to be, for the Spirit of God to assure you of that, you have to have been born again by the Spirit. The assurance gives us the confidence. And it all comes through being born again. So this is my last question. Is John 3.16 personal to you? Because it should be. Is the promise in John 3.16, let me read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the promise. If you believe in Jesus, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. This is a gift. God so loved the world, he gave a gift. It says he gave, right? He gave, that's a gift. He gave it to you. He gave Jesus to us. He says all you have to do is believe in Jesus through his death and his resurrection. Repent, be forgiven, accept Jesus as your Savior. 
So is this promise yours? Do you, do you own this promise? Do you, are you confident in this promise? Are you, right, are you assured by this promise? I mean, it better be. As much as we, in a sense, kind of, I don't know that we belittle the verse, but we kind of just, oh, John 3.16. Yep, everybody quotes John 3.16. It's on everything, right? A lot of people who are Christians, celebrities, you know, sign their name and then sign John 3.16 under it. It's a pretty common thing for Christian celebrities to do to sign John 3.16 under their names. We always just, we're just writing John 3.16 on everything. We're putting it on the cups and it's at the sports shows and it's everywhere. I mean, we're seeing it everywhere, but... Is it more than just a verse to you? Is this promise yours? Because it should be. Here's a quote by Tozer. Jesus Christ came not to condemn you, but to save you, knowing your name, knowing all about you, knowing your weight right now, knowing your age, knowing what you do, knowing where you live, knowing what you ate for supper and what you will eat for breakfast, where you will sleep tonight and how much your clothing costs and who your parents were. He knows you individually as though you were not another person in the entire world. He died for you as certainly as if you had been the only lost one. He knows the worst about you and is the one who loves you most. If you are out of the fold and away from God, put your name in the, wor- name in the words of John 3.16 and say, Lord, it is I. I'm the cause and the reason why thou, thou didst on earth come to die. That kind of positive personal faith and a personal redeemer is what saves you. If you will just rush in there, you do not have to know all the theology because you don't. Matter of fact, that's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus earlier. If you go back in John 3, 16, when he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. You don't have to wrap your head around this entirely, Nicodemus. You don't have to know all the ins and outs of what's happening here. You don't have to know all the theology or all the right words, as Tozer says here. You just have to trust God. The rest of that will come to you as you grow, right? So you don't have to know all the theology and all the right words. You can say, I am the one he came to die for. Write it down in your heart and say, Jesus, this is me, thee, and me, and though there were no others, have that kind of personalized belief in a personal Lord and Savior. John 3.16 is speaking to you just as much as it's speaking to Tim Tebow, just as much as it's speaking to me, just as much as it speaks to the church as a whole, just as much as it speaks to the whole world. It was said one-on-one from Jesus to Nicodemus, but, and Jesus speaks that one-on-one to you as well. So know this, the difference between living and dying, between condemnation and salvation, is faith in Christ Jesus. Right? It tells us that the wages of sin is death. Right? Sin pays a wage. The wage that sin pays is death. Is that the wage we want? Is that the wage you want? Is that the wage you want your friends to have, right? That's Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's hearkening back to John 3.16. So what are the benefits of believing in Jesus, right? Of being born again. Well, that's what Jesus tells Nicodemus, right? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, there's the benefits right there, Nicodemus. 
right? You have to be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. Those are the benefits, Nicodemus. So do you want to be not condemned? Do you want to enter into the kingdom of God? Do you want to have eternal life? These are the benefits of believing in Jesus. They aren't the only benefits, but they are the main benefits of believing in Jesus. You will not perish. You will have eternal life. You are not condemned. But also what goes with that is this. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, which is, and the only Son of God is, Jesus, the one and only. Well, all of this, all these benefits of being born again, this gift that God has given you, this free gift of God, this eternal life in Christ Jesus, all of this came because God loves you. As it says, for God so loved the world. But as he says, you can put your name in there. For God so loved Rich. For God so loved Julie. Right? It's as personal as it is global. All of this is because God loves you. John 3.16, let's read it one last time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So go ahead, put it on your t-shirts. Write it on your forehead like you're in a football game like Tim Tebow. Use your little black eye stuff and write it on there. Let people ask you, what's John 3.16? Buy a bumper sticker, right? I, I don't, it doesn't matter how you get it out there. It's an important verse. And every time we see it, we should understand the importance of the verse and how it speaks to millions of people and how it's changed the world. That one verse out of over 31,000 verses, whatever I said there were in the Bible, that one verse has changed the world. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We pray, Lord, that you will work that through us, that we'll continue as we draw closer to you in our walk and as we draw closer to you in our relationship, Lord, that we will just continue to remember that this isn't just some pop culture phenomenon, John 3.16, that the truth of this verse resonates through our life, that God so loved us, and we put our faith in the Son of God, Jesus, God the Son, who died on the cross, who became sin, who took our sin so that we could have his righteousness. And through that, we have eternal life. That, that resonates in our life, Lord, so that we can share it with others. I pray that we can just continue to do that. Be a light in the darkness. We thank you for this. We th put it in your hands. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.